Hi and welcome to the Anco podcast. My name is Alex Wilson and today I'm joined by my colleague Dan Hume and the BPIS very own Steve Walker. And today we're going to have a chat about some of the issues that have affected the energy market, climate change agreements and how you can utilise sustainability. Dan and Steve, would you like to introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about your background and experience? Hi Alex, yeah, uh, Dan Hume, been with Enco six years now as a manufacturing consultant. Um, main job is to work with our manufacturing customers to uh, identify ways in which they can save money, reduce carbon and be a bit more of a greener business. Cool, thanks Dan. Thanks Alex. Um... Uh, my name is Steve Walker. I'm the commercial product manager for the BPIF. Been with the BPIF for over 30 years. Can you believe that? And wow. I've been running the climate change levy scheme on behalf of the BPIF for 20 of those 30 years. Uh, I also run the also run the BPIF's uh, climate uh, sorry carbon footprinting tool uh, called Climate Calc, which we uh, do in conjunction with uh, Integraph. Well. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Dan. Um, so before we kick things off, I just thought I'd give our listeners a little bit of insight into the manufacturing sector that we've uh, we've received from our good friends over at Manufacturing Management. Um, so manufacturing seems to be leading the charge out of this so-called pandemic recession that we're in. And um, in August, the Purchasing Managers Index hit, hit a 30-month high of 55.2, which was up from 53.3 in July. Um, And manufacturing production actually rose at the fastest pace since May 2014. And this was actually underpinned by an increase in new orders, the fastest increase in new orders since May 2017. Um, The domestic market was largely responsible for this. However, New exports have risen modestly over the first time in 10 months. Um, And, you know, from this, you might be thinking, well, that's not all doom and gloom. But um, you'll probably be aware that employment in the sector has declined at one of the steepest rates. So um, the podcast today should hopefully provide some answers, opportunities to help your organisation tackle any COVID financial implications and help future-proof your business. So I guess... The first stop would be the energy market, Dan. And I mean, over, over lockdown, I saw fluctuation in petrol prices. Is, is, is that the same for energy? Yeah, pretty much. Um, they're all commodities, so they're all driven by supply and demand and currency exchange rates and things that are going on in the world. Um, we're, the UK are a net importer of energy as a country. Um, we don't have a vast amount of stock or um, reserve, let's say. So we have to import a lot of our electricity and gas through uh, interconnectors um, or through LNG tankers over over the sea. Um, now, I guess the biggest difference uh, or the biggest change that we've seen over the last six months has been um, the, the massive drop in um, demand on the grid, uh, certainly at the beginning of lockdown when Everyone wasn't going out in the car and offices were closing, manufacturing sites were shutting, um, you know, retailers and leisure facilities, they were closing um, and there was a massive drop in consumption. And at that time, um, as most of us will know, whilst we were all locked in our houses, the sun was shining and it was uh, it was glorious weather for the time of year. So when, when we talk about supply and demand, 
um, there was an excess of supply available and not enough demand to take it. Um, and in, in some cases, on particular days, there was actually negative pricing on the market, which is something that's not been seen before. So um, our traders um, use a lot of information that's input into our systems from different sources, um, one of them being West Texas Intermediary as a, a oil and that was negative $30 a barrel on one particular day. So people were getting paid to, to take oil, uh, which is just crazy. crazy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely mental. Um, so from a, an energy perspective, if we talk about pricing, um, we saw a, a really steep drop off um, where prices were, let's say, um, in, in pence per kilowatts. And we're talking wholesale only here. So this is only about 40% of the bill for electric. Um, but we were... At, you know, four, five pence a kilowatt before lockdown, and that dropped to lows of you know two pence on on some particular days. So the market hard. So presumably, Dan, that's good news for the um, for for BPF members and um, for the industry as a whole. Uh, yes and no. So at the time, the market was there, but uh, we have seen it recover slightly uh, in line with the the releasing of lockdown. So prices have crept back up, and they're now. For electricity, certainly hovering around the four, four and a half pence a kilowatt. Um, but I think the the biggest thing to bear in mind on the overall delivered price is that the wholesale cost is only a percentage of the delivered bill. The rest of it's taxes and levies and delivery charges that the, the national grid impose on the end user. Um, and with some things that we're going to cover a bit later today, those are definitely set to increase. So. Um, unfortunately, what we tend to see a lot in the energy market is that where there's a, a drop off on the wholesale, that doesn't always necessarily feed straight through to the end user's bill um, because there are other increases that are, you know, wiping that out or netting it off in some cases. Yeah. Is there anything, you know, anyone can do about these other charges or is that something that's fixed on or, you know, is... Uh, well, yeah, some elements of it are fixed as a pence per kilowatt because they're taxes from the government, um, mainly to fund new renewable projects in line with the net zero 2050 commitment that the government's now made law. Um, so obviously, if, if we're building new wind farms or solar farms, someone's got to fund it and it inevitably ends up being the uh, the end user of the energy. So those those rates, we, we would expect to see increase over the coming years to generate a bigger funding pot for the new renewables uh, and likewise with with no more renewables coming onto the grid it makes it harder for the national grid to balance the system and transfer that energy around to the areas that are, are in demand at a particular time uh, that, whereas our, uh, well our national grid was um, originally set up um, if you, well if you drive up the m1 or the m6 you tend to see all the old coal-fired power stations so if you had a if you had a look at a map of um well the UK I guess um it was almost like a spine of energy generation down the middle so the grid was designed to export energy from the middle out to the to the outer edges where people are using the energy um but with a change in renewables coming on board and uh, that's only going to increase a lot of these renewables are offshore wind farms so the grid's now actually generating energy outside of the country and pushing it back in. So it's like yeah. flipping the grid on its head. Um, and that again, that's going to be massive infrastructure costs that the end user's only going to end up having to pay. So I think if we come back to wholesale prices, um, whilst 
some people may have missed the the best opportunity yet uh, where the the market went down to two two and a half pence and now it's back up at four and a half pence um there is potential for it to go down again and i say this we're we're now on the 9th of september i'm sure all of us have heard this morning that certain restrictions are being put in place around covid um about people gathering and i can only see that you know i'm not an economist or anything but if we use common sense if you if you can't go into the pub and the restaurant and local businesses or leisure centers and gyms like you could i think it's a, a breaking point for a lot of these businesses not only is the demand going to go down on the grid but it might result in some of these businesses not being able to recover and therefore future demand being lower so if coronavirus does come back with a bang and there is a, a significant spike and we see the lockdown measures reinstated, I'd expect the prices to fall again. Um, does, the does, that present an, does that present an opportunity for some businesses? You know, is, it, is, there, a, is there an opportunity to seize here? Um, definitely, but there's also risk. So we're, we're fast approaching winter, as most people will recognise, if they take the dogs for a walk or, you know, just going out, it, it's getting darker at night. Um, so demand will be coming earlier on the grid. Um, and the temperatures are reducing. Now, if we look back to 2016, we had the beast from the east when it was, you know, minus 10, minus 15, certainly around where I was. Um, we decided to put a new roof on the house at that particular week, which is a great idea in hindsight. <laughs> um, and, you know, energy prices within day at that time were, were increasing by 300%. So we saw some real extreme volatility. Now, since then, it's it's created a lot of, um, how do I phrase Well, not risk, but it's created a lot of... Um, uncertainty? Yeah, uncertainty, but more panic from people that if we have another cold winter and we've not got enough supply to meet that demand, what happens? Do we... Do the grid have to start making phone calls to the big industrial users saying, please, can you turn off so our hospitals can stay open? You know, so... We've not got a lot of storage in the UK anymore. We used to have big um, oil and salt mines that have, were made redundant and then filled with gas. Um, the biggest one being owned by British, well, Centrica, which is British Gas. Um, that was rough storage in the North Sea. And that was wiped out in June 2016 because it was unstable. So we used to pump gas into that throughout the summer months when it was cheaper and store it there. And then under real high demand during winter, we'd pull it out which meant that we wouldn't necessarily have to be buying on the global market from the rest of the world who were also under uh, winter conditions. So that helped the country um, manage that risk a bit and obviously stabilise pricing. But since that's gone, we, we are solely reliant on imports or renewables. Um, so we, we can only hope that when it's cold, it's bright and sunny and a bit windy. Fingers um, crossed. So of, yeah, so there's plenty of renewables coming in. So I guess there's the risk that prices could skyrocket if we have a really bad winter, but that is speculation. Um, there's a risk that prices could fall through the floor. Again, speculation. Um, I'm not going to try and predict what's going to happen with coronavirus because I don't think even the UK government know at this stage. Um, so I think the, the best thing, uh, the best bit of advice I, I guess I can give to anyone listening and um, that our, our trading team and our procurement team have been giving to our current customers is make sure you're in a position that you can make a decision if you need to. 
Um, make sure that you've got a good handle on when your renewals are due, how much energy you're buying, what your demand is going to be in the future, so that you've got a, a good forecast of your consumption. And make sure either you've got a partner that can manage that for you and keep track of the market on a daily basis, or make sure that someone within your business is tracking that market and um, you agree internally at a certain point that you have to buy. Um, now, if we look ahead at the moment, whilst prices are you know slightly below average let's say but um you know that it's not like people should be rushing to renew right now because of the price uh, the only reason they should be rushing is potential risk um but if you look out across the future seasons say out to 2024 you can actually buy energy for 2024 cheaper than you can buy it for next year why why is why is that dan why can i why can i buy energy cheaper in you know, three years time, surely there should be more risk because it's more unknown or, you know, it seems a bit strange yeah, to be. Yeah, typically that's the way the commodities markets will work. And uh, we saw a big period a couple of years ago where the markets were what we phrased backwardated or the, the, the traders referred to as in contango, where <laughs> prices further out were cheaper than closer to the point of delivery. Every industry um, has its jargon, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And the the ones ones. <laughs> we create our new ones on a daily basis. Um, yeah, at, at that time, prices closer to the point of delivery were inflated due to risk around our supply available, basically, due to rough storage going out of commission and the UK just coming out of uh, beasts from the east and realising that without that, that backup or that reserve, we're stuffed. Um, so prices skyrocketed. Most people might remember this around um, October 18. Prices got to about seven or eight pence a kilowatt. So anyone renewing back then um, who didn't really have a choice but to buy have probably been stung. So if they yeah. were renewing, I guess they would see a, a significant saving because it's near, you know it's 60% of what it was at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I, rem I remember the, the cries from our members. Uh, have I really got to face these price increases? Yeah. And unfortunately, if if you are reactive in your in your procurement activity, a lot of companies will face that that situation where you've got two or three months before your renewal date. You you go out and test the market and go, is that what it's at now? Whereas if if you're being a bit more proactive and you're looking forward, you can take advantage when the market's favourable, but also you can start budgeting a bit better. So how's so it you best for? How's it, how's it best for our members to go and do that and be as pro proactive as you're suggesting? Well, obviously, being biased, I'm going to say come and speak to Inenco. But um, <laughs> the for for certain certain of your members that spend say 200 grand or more on energy, uh, we would recommend uh, some kind of risk management policy where you can actually go out and flexibly buy your energy on the market. And I know we're currently doing that for a, a number of your members anyway. Um, but that allows them to set budgets in advance without necessarily committing to prices. So should the market fall, they'll get a better price than their budget number. But if the market increases, they're protected from that risk. Uh, but I guess for the smaller members, it, it's down to them now to have a look at their business plans for the next couple of years and say, you know, if we renew and fix our costs now at a, a relatively stable point right now in the market, are, are we going to be able to take those costs? And would, if we run the risk of not renewing now, could we take it if it doubled? 
Um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's always struck me that energy market is so complicated that it's certainly one of those ones which lends itself to having somebody looking at it all the time for you. And very few of our members have got the luxury of having somebody who's the energy expert. So, yeah. uh, so unless you're keeping your eye on the ball all the time, then it is a gamble. Um, yeah, and, exactly. You know, this this is really where the intermediary, uh, the likes of Inenco, um, you know, hold their own because you've got the guys, you've got the specialists there who are looking at it all the time. Yeah, we've got five traders that we lock up to their desks and they monitor everything from Donald Trump's tweets right down to LNG tankers on a, a map of the world. Yeah. So they're tracking every little bit of information that comes in that could make the market spike or fall. So they're proactive and obviously our customers benefit from that because when anything happens, our customers are the first to know. Yeah, we might be getting a bit stuck down this. I'm, I'm going to move us on a little bit. But Dan, if you could just summarize in one sentence, you know, a piece of advice <laughs> based on the market, what would it be? Uh, look out now and see what prices are. If you're worried, engage with someone that can support you, like us. Bro. <laughs> okay, um, I guess we, we, I mean, we said it initially, we're going to look at climate change agreements. So I, I guess at this point, we just talk to you a bit more, Steve. But, um, okay. uh, you know, the budget, it was announced that the scheme's going to open again. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Can you just... You know, tell us a bit more about sure, what you've sure. been doing uh, stuff. Yeah, I mean, the climate change levy is, um, for those who don't know, it's a tax on all UK's companies' energy bills. Um, it was introduced back in 2001 in order to help the UK PLC reach its Kyoto greenhouse gas emissions targets. Um, and it was on the simple premise that basically uh, you put the price up and people will then look to see what they're using and look to try and reduce it. Uh, at the time, they redirected all these funds, um, all, all the levy, to energy efficiency um, consultancy that large companies could take. That soon went by the board, and um, and it's just now a pure tax. Um, and um, at the time, however, when it was introduced, um, unlike perhaps current governments, uh, the government at the time were a bit concerned that in increasing the price of energy it was going to be pretty unpopular. Um, so Can't see why. <laughs> no, so so I, I think at the time there were you know energy prices were increasing and increasing, and it's probably you know half of what it is now, uh, even more. But um, they um, they they said that at the time that they were going to make it revenue neutral. Now, how do you put the price of something up and then make it revenue neutral? Well, what they did was to reduce national insurance contributions at the same time. Um, so, and that was fine for large companies like M&S, large energy spend, a lot of people. Uh, that, that, that sort of, that, 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 that balanced out. But for energy intensive industries, it was disproportionate. They didn't have enough people to, uh, to, to, to balance that. So they were paying far more in their energy. Um, than, and, and it certainly wasn't revenue neutral at all to energy intensive industries. So what they decided at the time was to offer these energy intensive industries an ability to claim a significant discount off this um, so they could make good on their promise for it to be revenue neutral. But in return, they would ask those energy intensive industries to improve their energy efficiency. Um, and that was really for the government a double whammy. They were making good on their promises and they were also incentivizing large energy users to improve their energy efficiency. 
Um, what they had to do, however, obviously, was to um, was to join a, a scheme run by the sector association for that sector, and the BPIF is the sector association for the printing industry. Unfortunately, at that time, the printing industry was designated as an energy intensive industry, um, and therefore was eligible to claim the discount. And currently, we've got about three hundred and fifty companies who are claiming the discount. Uh, and saving the industry over fourteen million pounds, fourteen million pounds wow. in a year. Um, now, since they introduced the scheme, um, since two thousand and one, um, the levy has increased steadily with inflation, um, and um, it's becoming gradually more and more available to smaller companies um, because you need to have a big enough energy spend to warrant coming onto the scheme. Um, but in April 2019, the levy took a huge hike. What the government did was to scrap the uh, carbon reduction commitment scheme, the CRC energy efficiency scheme, because it was too complex. But what they didn't want to, alert there. Yeah, what they didn't want to do was to lose the money. Typical of government, they wanted to scrap the scheme. But they, I mean, on average, for I think a company who used six million kilowatt hours and was eligible. It's costing them about 70 grand. So it was a huge loss for the government. So what they decided to do, they scrapped it, um, but they put, um, they, they increased the climate change levy significantly. It went from something like 0.547 pence per kilowatt hour up to uh, 0.847 pence per kilowatt hour. Huge increase. Um, and that meant that even more companies, um, at one time we would have said, you need to be spend. You need to have a uh, energy consumption of over a million kilowatt hours. But with this huge to join the scheme, but with this huge hike, smaller companies found uh, that it was it would be beneficial for them to join the scheme and make uh, significant savings. Um, so, um, so that's what happened in in April 2019. Perversely, however, they closed the scheme in October 2018. So by the time people realised this, um, they, they it, was too late. <laughs> it was too late to join. So yeah. we, we scrambled to get as many companies as possible on before, um, before October 18. And we, we managed to do that quite successfully and we, and we increased it. Um, so, but that was really weird. You know, you, 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 you up the price, and the, um, but you tell them by the time you've up the price, they couldn't come on the screen. The good news, however, as you mentioned at the start, uh, the good news is that the, uh, in April, the government announced that they were extending the current scheme to, for a further two years. So then it's now going to go on until 2025. Um, I'm guessing, Steve, all... you, you've been very busy. <laughs> well, we, we are, um, they've reopened the window for companies to come onto it until um, the, end of, uh, the end of November. Uh, and people think, wow, I've got until November. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, that time will be eaten up very, very quickly. I mean, we, we try to lobby the government and extend it until, you know, why should you, why should you close it at all? Why can't people continue joining, continue joining? Um, but because of the targets that are set, uh, it, it doesn't make it um, work very well. So the government has sort of stuck to the guns. They've ex originally, it was September that they had allowed new joiners to come in. Now we've lobbied and they've, they've uh, uh, extended it until the end of November. Um, 
So, as I say, the good news is that now it's uh, because the levy has gone up, more companies are going to benefit from it. Um, and there is now an opportunity to join and then get the, um, the climate change levy reduction, which at the moment is 92% of the levy on electricity. Get that until 2025. But November will soon come around. So, yeah. uh, so what I'm saying to companies, and you're right, I am busy at the moment. We've got all of our sales staff are going out saying, right, you know, do you realize you can save money on this? Um, do you realize that, you know, BPI can hold your hand through the application process, which is where all the work's involved? Um, please have a look to see whether it's going to be beneficial. And it's really simple to do that. All they need to do really is two things. Either send me their, by email, send me their annual kilowatt hours, and we'll, it'll take you two seconds to work out what the saving is. Uh, or if you don't know what your annual kilowatt hours are, and a lot of companies don't, they know what they spend, but they don't know, um, they don't know what, um, what the kilowatt hours are. Send me a monthly bill, and we can, as long as it's representative, we can work it out how much, um, how much they're likely to save. Yeah, don't send April's bill. No. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody sends me the gas bill for December and January. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm having to go back to them and say, look, you know, if I work out your savings on this bill, because you say the more you use, the more you save. If I work out the savings on this bill, this is going to overestimate it. And that's the last thing yeah. I want to do. I don't want companies coming onto the scheme and saying, right, okay, you said I could save 10 grand and I'm only saving four. So it, do, it does sort of have to be representative. And yeah. what a company can then do is in the full knowledge of how much they're going to save, I will take them through the application process and then they can decide whether or not it's too onerous. Um, it's, um, yeah, it, it is all front-loaded. They will, um, the, the, the work has to be done at the beginning. Once they have their agreement, then it's just a case of sending us um, their target information every two years um, to see whether they've reached their target or not. Um, yeah, just making sure that they remain compliant with the scheme. Let's. Um, I think it for the listeners, it's worthwhile putting some numbers against it. So let's let's give a couple of examples. Um, let's say if if you're a printer and you're using a, a mega a megawatt of power, so a million units, or in current terms, what about 130, 140 grand a year? That that CCL bill is going to be seven, eight grand. Yeah. A year, maybe. Yeah. So yeah. They, they stand to save ninety-two percent of that. We're, we're still talking seven grand, aren't we? Yeah. As a saving, yeah. and that and goes straight you, off the bottom line. And if you multiply that over the years of the scheme. Oh yeah, it's um, massive. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that savings guaranteed till March twenty-five, isn't it? Uh, yes. Um, it, it, it not not quite guaranteed because there there is there they obviously will be. Um, will be measured because they don't get this. Companies don't get this for nothing. Therefore, they have to reach energy efficiency uh, targets. Yeah. Now, these energy efficiency targets are set um, for every two years. So if you came on now, you would get the discount guaranteed until, um, where are we? Um, December 22, it'll be. The, yeah, you'll be so, so, therefore, so therefore, you'll be guaranteed it until June uh, 2023. Yeah. Uh, and then if you reach your target, you're then certified until, as you say, until 2025. If you don't reach your target, yeah, there's a choice. Um, and the thing about this scheme is that 
you're always in control. Um, yeah, because, it's voluntary because rather than mandatory. It is. It's a voluntary scheme. You're coming onto it voluntarily. You're not being made to come onto it. I was thinking the other day that climate change levy is, is, is not a compliance issue, but it doesn't need to be a compliance issue because you've got to pay the levy. And so, so it's more than compliance. You've got to do it. Um, yeah. and, um, but, uh, but, but you're always in control if you join this voluntary scheme because if you don't reach your target, you have a choice. You either come off the scheme um, and pay, go back to paying the full levy, and you don't repay any of the levy discount that you've already received. And that's why it's a bit of a no-brainer if you're saving yeah. more than the admin fee um, than to come onto the scheme. If yeah. you want to stay in the scheme, then uh, there's a buyout fee which you can pay, and that depends on how much you miss your targets by. But it's generally in proportion to your saving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we manage maybe 200 CCAs, climate change agreements for customers, and we've not got one example where the buyout is higher than the annual saving that they achieve. No. There, are, there are a couple that are very close, well, they're still making a net saving, so they still see it as worthwhile being in the scheme. Yeah, but the big issue, Dan, is that um, is that it's their choice. You know, you are yeah. not. I know some companies when you first talk to them about it, they're worried about what they're signing up to, and I've tried to say to them, look, it is a voluntary scheme. You can come off whenever you like. Yeah. The yeah. penalty for coming off or missing your target is losing the discount going forward. And if we're honest. Most of the larger companies are already on the scheme because yeah. it would be nonsense for them not to be on the scheme. So we're talking to about uh, really about companies now who are probably saving seven, eight, nine, ten grand, which is always yeah. better in your pocket than it is in the government's. <laughs> um, and um, but if you were to fail to reach a target, and I, I, like you, I've never seen an instance where the buyout fee is more than the saving. Um, but if it was to be, you'd just come off the scheme. And you go back yeah. to paying that seven grand. And of course, you wouldn't pay that seven grand one off. It's, it's going back to paying the full levy. So it's not the end of the world for those smaller companies. It is for a larger web printer where they're saving 200 grand a year. It probably is yeah. the end of the world. Um, yeah. But, but not, for the, not for those who are left yet. So I think the message from the BPF really on the climate change levy, levy is, look, you've got, a, you've got a, a window of opportunity until the end of November in order to come on board. Let us know uh, what your energy consumption is, and we can tell you how much you save, and then you can make an informed decision. Yeah. The other side of it, of course, is that for those companies already on the scheme, um, those 350 companies, because the target is a relative target and they're being measured by how many kilowatt hours of energy they use per square meter of substrate they print upon, it's very, very determined on, determined on their throughput, on how much how much they're getting through the business. Now, obviously, uh, this current year is going to reduce the throughput and energy is not going to go down as much. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, there'll be some companies out there who are struggling to reach their, um, their, their targets. So about a third to a half of companies failed last time. And I see that being far more given what's happened. You know, we're lobbying government in order for them to take control, of, to, to, to take this into, a, into account. But talking to companies like Enenco has got to, has to help companies uh, reach, their, you know, reach their targets, reduce the yeah. possibility of the buyout fee. Yeah, we've done a lot of work with our customers that are struggling to hit their buyouts, either through restructuring or just energy efficiency advice. Yeah. And that's you know, massively either reduced or avoided um, that buyout at the end of the target period. But if you, 
if you bring it all back to what it was originally set out to be, it's about carbon. Um, and I think leading into the next subject topic of um, sustainability, carbon, um, if, if you can avoid your buyout, you're effectively buying less carbon, you're emitting less carbon, therefore you're being um, better from a carbon footprint perspective as well. Yeah. So there's not just the financial benefit of, of the scheme, there's, a, I guess, by being a member of the CCA scheme or by being a participating facility, I think that's the correct phrase, you you are uh, making a commitment to improve your energy um, efficiency or reduce your energy intensity per product. And that can only be spun in a positive way when, I guess, your your members are trying to contract with their customers and their supply chains by saying we're a member of this scheme and it means that we've got a commitment with the Environment Agency and the HMRC supported by the BPIF to reduce our carbon footprint uh, as an energy intensity metric and look we're that conscious of it we measure ourselves every two years against a baseline target. And it is an industry measure so yeah. uh, we are measuring ourselves against an, a, a measure that has been negotiated for our industry. Yeah, and the the number of companies that we go and meet that I'll, I'll I'll go and speak to the health and safety chap at the business, and he's our main contact or she's our main contact, um, and then we'll eventually go and speak to the finance director, and they won't even know that they've been claiming this relief because it is a cost avoidance. It's not something that you pay and then get a rebate back. Now the yeah. idea as well of of the scheme was that by claiming that relief you've then freed up some cash to reinvest in energy efficiency technology but i yeah. don't know i don't know many businesses at all that see that pot as a uh, an energy efficiency pot to spend for capex improvement for example i th i think it depends on how cute the um the environmental stroke health and safety person is and if 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 it's one of their priorities then they do use that but i agree with you dan I don't go yeah. into many companies where they look at that at all. They get yeah. it, and then they forget it. Yeah, um, yeah. Because their bills, their bills are reduced, and the first time it's reduced, it's nice, but then they just expect it. Um, yeah. And um, I wouldn't be saying this to the government, because <laughs> the scheme is yeah. very popular both with sector associations and both with um, both with, um, with 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 members, and we are lobbying for it to continue. Um, of course. Because what happens if you put that fourteen million pounds straight back on the printing industry? If, if yeah. for, for instance, they were they were going to um, close it, close it down, or change it, and it is yeah. only going till twenty twenty five. Can I just yeah. touch back on a point you mentioned before? Uh, how you know, you, you, if anybody would like to join the scheme, you, what about? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but climate change agreements are site level, aren't they? If you know, if, yeah. I've, if I've opened up a new site which meets the criteria is, you know, am I, can I come on the scheme if I'm already in it or is it, you know, is it limited per, per organization or what? what there's no, there's no limit at all. Okay. Um, the, um, but, but you are right. It is on a site by site basis. Many environmental schemes, many energy schemes by the government, uh, like the CRC energy efficiency scheme and the SECR scheme, they are a company level. But and uniquely, I think uh, the climate change agreements are at um, at, at site level, and it, it you know it's, so large groups will decide which of their sites are benefiting, uh, yeah. and um, decide which ones to bring on, and and the big issue, of course, for many for, for lots of industries since they closed it in October 2018 was 
well, what about in, what about a new site? You're at a competitive disadvantage if we bring on a new site which is using a lot of energy compared to others who have already got an agreement. So that's why the sector associations have been banging on about why should you close the um, the window for, um, for for new joiners. But but yes, yeah. site by site basis, and it's just a case of trying to get across to me the your, your, the consumption, so I can work it out for you, um, and you can then make a defi- a, a, a uh, informed decision as, as to whether to come onto the scheme. Hi, Alex here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. We've covered what's happening in the manufacturing market currently and also discussing climate change agreements. The latter part of our conversation went on to discuss streamline energy carbon reporting and sustainability. So we've decided to split the podcast in two. The second half of the podcast will be live in early October. So make sure you don't miss a future episode. Please subscribe to our mailing list at www.inenco.com forward slash the Inenco podcast or search the Inenco podcast on Spotify and click subscribe. If you have any questions on what we've discussed so far, then please email them to podcast at Speak to you soon.